This is the 200 Churches Podcast, episode 51. And for some churches, they're going to stay small for, for a long period of time. And you, you know the staff as well as I do. 90% of the churches in the world are 100 people or fewer. So the likelihood is that you know all of us are going to pastor a church for at least a certain period of time. Many of us, most of us even, are going to pastor a church, small church, for most of our ministry. That's just statistically how it measures up. Thank you for listening to the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Angela, and I really do love introducing this podcast to you each and every week. On behalf of Jeff and Johnny, we would like to wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Now, here are Elf 1 and Elf 2 of Ministry Podcasts, Jeff and Johnny. Thank you so much for listening to the 200 Churches Podcast. As usual, I'm Johnny Craig. I'm here with my main man. Well, I'm Jeff Cady, and as usual... We got another main man. No, no, wait. As usual, I'm here with. Not as usual, I'm Johnny Craig. Well, but I, I am Johnny Craig. Yeah, as, I always As am. always. Well... I hope you're not... I hope you're always Johnny Craig and not just usually. Sometimes I go by Carlos Danger. <laughs> Dear. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's introduce our guest. Yes. We are joined today by Carl Vader's, our West Coast small church companion. Say hello, Carl. Hello, Carl. All right. Hey, if you can be Carl, if you can be Carlos Danger, I can say hello, Carl. Oh, <laughs> yes, you can. It's much better, actually. Well, happy New Year! If you're yeah, listening you today, too. well. To okay. you, but but Happy New Year to anyone who happens to be listening. You know, my mom, uh, <laughs> my paid my paid staff. Yep. Yeah, you can you can get your mom and your staff to listen because I, I tell me how to do that because well, well, I, I can't get them to pay any attention. Well, <laughs> see, I hire, I get my staff to do it with me, and then truthfully, yeah, my mom doesn't listen. She's never heard an episode. She doesn't like computers, so. Oh yeah, she's a lost a, cause. An obstacle. Yeah. So we're starting something new here in 2014. The first Wednesday of every month, we're going to have Carl Vader's. Uh, joining us. Carl, in just a minute, I'm going to have you uh, tell the folks about yourself because there's going to be some new listeners who probably have never heard of you. And uh, sure. we have, Johnny and I have invited Carl to uh, join us the first Wednesday of every month. And uh, you may, may or may not know on the last Wednesday of every month, we've got who, Johnny? Dan Ryland. We've got Dan Ryland yep. from 12 Stone Church down in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Uh, he's the author of the book Amplified Leadership. We had him on the last five months of 2013, and we have renewed his contract for a grand total of seventeen zero dollars. Oh, zero dollars! Yeah, 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 zero dollars. Yeah, Man, seventeen I'm months. Paid, I'm getting paid double that. I'm feeling pretty good. Right absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, and you get a raise every month too. That's how it works. Mm-hmm. It doubles mm-hmm. every month. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, Carl, yes. tell us yep. about yourself and uh, talk to us about. Uh, just tell us about your book. Yeah, um, I've been. Uh, I'm a pastor in Fountain Valley, which is in Orange County, California, about eight miles from Disneyland, and uh, been here for been here for 21 years. Just celebrated our 21st anniversary here. Yeah, this is you know this is the land of the mega church giants. Here, there's there's you know mega church on every corner. I joke that you drop a Bible on the ground here in Orange County, and a mega church springs up. <laughs> uh, but that didn't quite happen to me. I wasn't sure if it was the seed or the water or the the gardener himself. And for years I struggled and got upset over all of that until finally I thought, okay, wait a minute, maybe uh, this isn't a problem to be fixed. Maybe this is something God wants to use. 
And so I sat down, thought through, prayed through, and worked through a whole bunch of things, and it eventually ended up just kind of being written down in bits and pieces. And then uh, through my uh, my wife and my associate pastor, actually, after sharing some of that with our staff, they said, hey, that's not just bits and pieces. That's something people need to know, and that's something that's a book you need to write. And so I wrote the book, uh, The Grasshopper Myth, and out of that, uh, you know, basically as a way of selling the book, I started the blog, newsmallchurch.com, and now it's become kind of a thing all on its own, uh, building some community among small church pastors. And through that really is where uh, I met you guys. Yeah, newsmallchurch.com. We we love your site, Carl, and we've had you on multiple times. If this is your first time hearing Carl Vader's Go back and listen to those other episodes. Uh, we've talked about some pretty cool stuff in the past, including a trip that you made uh, to Croatia. Croatia, right. apparently I have to pronounce it that way. But uh, to talk to pastors of small churches there. We won't make you rehash all that, but I would just encourage uh, uh, those listening to check it out. I mean, we've had some really fun conversations with you, and we're excited to have you back on. Yeah, great to be here. And now I'm a regular it's right, yeah. You are you are regular, Carl. Now, <laughs> if if you do go to newsmallchurch.com, at the top of the website, at least currently at the top of the website, you can see I think Carl you call them the essentials. Yeah, it's a dozen a dozen articles that I've written that kind of um are the foundation for what the ministry is about. And so what we're going to do this year, 2014, we're going to go through each one of those 12, and this being the first month, we're going to go through the first article, the first post that he has in there, which is essentially chapter one of your book. And as we read through this, as I read through it um, just again today, it's it's pretty short, I, I was struck at the fact that, by the fact that I still am not sure how... It, I can believe this in my head, but it hasn't hit my heart. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean, Carl? Yeah. I don't know if I'm ready to say, as you say on page four, I'm a small church pastor. And then you say, the first time I admitted that truth to myself was one of the most liberating moments of my life. Yeah. And as I look at that, I think, hmm, I, you know, I guess... I guess Time proves out the fact that I am a small church pastor, uh, as long as, you know, least under 500 is a small church, and, and right now we're at about the 200, give or take, stage. John and I were talking about this. What is the benefit of saying, I am a small church pastor? First of all, it's the truth, and truth is always a good thing, I've discovered. Well, that's not a good enough reason. Come on, give us more, give us more. Um... Yeah, if you need more than it's the truth, then I'll give you that too. I, I actually one of the earliest one of the earliest posts that I wrote at newsmallchurch.com was said I'm going to give you a quiz that you can figure out whether or not you're a small church pastor, and it's just a very simple two sentence quiz. And one is, are you a pastor? And two, <laughs> wait, wait, let is me your guess. church is your church small? Yes or no? <laughs> is your church small? And, and two, yeah, and two is your church small? That mm, hurts so good when you say it that way, Carl. <laughs> Uh, so that's 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 pretty much how I determine it, and 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 the the premise of it it doesn't mean that 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 I'm going to forever be that or that my church is forever going to be that. It is a recognition of my current reality. And for some churches, they're going to stay small for for a long period of time. And you you know the stats as well as I do. Ninety percent of the churches in the world are a hundred people or fewer. 
So the likelihood is that, you know, all of us are going to pastor a church for at least a certain period of time. Many of us, most of us even are going to pastor a church, small church for most of our ministry. That's just statistically how it measures up. But even if my, if my church is going to grow and especially, hopefully we all want our churches to grow. Anybody who's just fine with their church as it is right now and are just saying, this is all I want. I don't want any more work. I don't want any more bother. I don't want any more people. And you're just settling for less. You know, God bless you. I don't think he will, but God bless you. That's not (laughs) where I'm interested in. I always want more. I always want better. I always want to move forward. Um, But right now, I am a pastor and my church is small. Therefore, I am a small church pastor. And that recognition for me was really liberating because it freed me now to do things appropriate to the current size and state that my church is in. That that was the biggest and freeing thing for me. This is who I am now, so this is going to be for now. If that changes, I'll adapt to the changes, and I'll readily welcome those changes. Right. Uh, but for now, this is that, and what are the good things about that, and what can I capitalize on that, quite frankly, for too many years, I just I didn't enjoy the benefits of the church because I was overwhelmed with the uh, with pursuing something that just didn't seem to want to come, which was this you know numerical growth that I was promised would happen. So just, just settling in and going, okay, this is who we are, this is the size we are. What does that now mean for the kind of ministry we're going to do? I think that that's a helpful um, way to explain it. Um, uh, Jeff and I were sitting here beforehand, reading through the first chapter, thinking about our own ministry in a small church and, you know, 200 churches, a ministry for small churches, and thinking, if we say, I am a small church pastor, does that mean that we will forever and always be small church pastors? You know, is it a statement of of fact for all of right. eternity, you know? And to hear you say, no, not necessarily, um, but it is a fact right now. Well, yeah, I am Johnny Craig, and I, I am a small church pastor, yeah. and, and I like it. You know, I like being in this church. Uh, I love the people who are here. Uh, that I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, yeah. I think that this is something I can, I guess, uh, compare for myself. But my wife and I, you know, we live here in, in this small northwest Iowa town. We're about 5,000 people when school is in, uh, the little college in town is, is in. And uh, we're both, we both look at each other constantly and say, yeah, we're big town people. We are city mm. people. Right. Uh, and I think that that leads to not being content and, and not being able to find real happiness in a small town. Whereas if we could say we're small town people because we live in a small town, I think yeah. that, 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 that could, um, that could be a liberating experience like what you're talking about. Yeah. I, I think for too many people hearing a phrase, I'm a small church pastor, you, you feel it's like it's, it's not a diagnosis of a disease. <laughs> right. It's right? not like hearing the <laughs> doctor say you have cancer. <laughs> right. right. But that's kind of how we take it. And that's kind of why we resist it. You know, it's why, you know, the, the, the second and third sentences of my book are, hi, I'm Carl, and I'm a small church pastor. You know, or, or actually, no, that was, uh, I'm a small church pastor, and I'm not a failure. The title of my first chapter is, hi, I'm Carl, and I'm a small church pastor. And I did that intentionally. It's the AA phrase. Right, right, right. Right? It's the, it's the guy getting up and going, hi, I'm, Car- I'm Carl, and I'm an alcoholic. And it's, there is, for those who do that, when they finally make that statement and they recognize this is the situation that I'm in, uh, that obviously for alcoholism is the diagnosis of 
uh, an, an issue, a problem, a sin, a, 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 a sickness, however you want to uh, categorize it. Uh, but for me, it was uh, this liberating moment of, no, it's not a disease, it's not a sickness, it's not even a problem. It's a simple recognition of my current state of life, and I need to live accurately for where I am. So now let's nuance this a little bit, Carl. Now you're talking about now you're talking about present reality. Okay, you're saying that right now I'm a small church pastor. It may not always be that way, but go to the other side of this because isn't isn't that part of the problem though? When we constantly tell ourselves it's not always going to be this way. It's not my church has got to grow. I've got to grow. So I'm going to go to this conference and read that book. And and you talk about that in this first chapter. So. Uh, what is the difference? What is the difference between saying uh, I'm a small church pastor and thinking right now, and, and also just constantly being frustrated and discontent in your small church? What you know? What is the other side of that? I think also maybe even on the first or second page, I say I didn't know I was a small church pastor for the first twenty years that I was one, and the reason I didn't know it or wouldn't acknowledge it is because I thought I was a big church pastor who hadn't arrived yet, and this idea that I'm this idea of unrealized potential when you're younger when you're starting out, yeah, you've got things ahead of you, and still I've got unrealized potential that I haven't tapped into yet that i I see myself moving towards. But if you set up this picture in your head of who you're supposed to be or what you're supposed to do or how big your church is supposed to be, and then you do all the things towards getting there, but it doesn't happen, it's, it stops being a motivating forward motion thing, and it starts debilitating us because we here, – here's what happens, what I found happening to me and I find happening with a lot of people – if I tell myself I'm a big church pastor who hasn't arrived yet, then the next part of that, and I heard it over and over again, is you got to think like a big church. But if I'm not, if I'm not a big church and I'm thinking like a big church, I end up doing things that actually hamper my ability even to become a big church. We start doing things methodologically, for instance, that don't fit our size. You, know, you, you can't operate a church of 50 like you'd operate a church of 500. And yet there are books out there that tell you to do exactly that. Act like you're big. And what a lot of people interpret that to mean is, I'm going to act like I'm a church of 500. I'm going to go up there and get support staff, and we're going to buy curriculum, and we're going to you know, uh, put together small groups. you got a church of 50. Dude, you are a small group. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. You know, Don't put together seven small groups, one for divorce recovery, one for men, one for women, one for youth, one for you know, single parents, one for whatever. No, you're, you are a small group. Just be that and be that really, really, really well. If you've got a hope for growth, it's going to be, be awesome where you are right now. An awesome church of 50 is going to attract people, but a church of 50 that's frustrated because they're not 500 isn't going to attract anybody. Yeah, you know, when I've talked to church members, they were really resentful of the fact that their pastor acted publicly in the services as though the church was a lot larger than it was in, yep. you know, in a hopeful anticipation by acting that way, he would make it that way. And, yeah, absolutely. And the people, <laughs> the people feel devalued. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, you know, when we, you know, when you go to a minister's conference and you're in the hallway hanging out with people and there are a handful, you know, most of the people you meet, they're friends, they sit, they talk, they're in the moment with you, but there's always a couple guys that, you know, when they're talking with you, they're looking over your shoulder for somebody better. Don't you hate that? <laughs> right. And that's what pastors do to their congregation members. Yeah. When we're, 
we, we look through them to something else and, and we devalue them in the process. And that was, again, as the moment in, in the first chapter where I, I started getting this kind of, or maybe the second chapter, maybe jumping ahead, but there was this moment several years ago where I, uh, I had gone through this. I had finally realized I'm a small church pastor. And then one, one staff meeting, I started talking about getting the numbers up, getting the numbers up. And I realized, whoa, it's happening again. And yeah. out of nowhere, no planning, no expectation of this, I turned to my staff and said, okay, that's it. We got to stop thinking like a big church. And the moment I said that, there was this flash in the whole room for everybody of, oh, yeah, because the whole teaching in that era was think like a big church. And then we sat down and we actually parsed out what that meant for us. What does it mean to stop thinking like a big church? It means let's be awesome at the size we are now. Let's, look, let's quit looking past the people we've got. Let's start loving the people we've got, training the people we've got, equipping the people we've got. Oh, here's, a, here's an idea, pastoring the people we've actually got. Well, that's, I mean, that's one of the huge benefits of being a small church is the ability to pastor the people who we have. And, um, you know, it's funny you said, you know, that was a teaching in your era. Well, there's, I'm not going to shout out the name of the book, but there was a book recently that was released, and, and one of the advice pieces was, you need to go get some parking lot attendants. And I started yeah. laughing, thinking about, <laughs> we got two <laughs> rows of parking, man. What, what are they going to yeah. attend? Like, what, you, what is this guy talking about? Who is he writing to? So, yeah, I you know. know, it's the same thing where he's, you know, it's, well, that's what you do. You act big to get big. And, you know, this is cutting me to the, to the quick, Carl, because as much as I think I'm coming to grips with our church being small, we, you know, I am, I'm in charge of the youth program here and man, you talk about small, that we got a yeah. small youth program and, and every week I'm feeling down on myself. I'm beating myself up, trying to think what I can do to get the numbers up, numbers, numbers, numbers. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and I'm, I'm probably, I'm looking right past these students that I have in front of me sometimes. And, uh, yeah, this is so, yeah, that's a good word. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, you're wrong. Well, when, when we did that, we really found it really was a turning point for our congregation as well. We just became healthier and better and stronger. We started discovering gifts that currently existed in the church that, quite frankly, we were devaluing before because they weren't big church gifts. They were small church gifts. Uh, for instance, recently we just discovered one of the guys in the church, he works at, there's no other phrase for it, it's the state mental hospital. And he's, he's one of the, the fix-it guys there. And he came to us and said, you know what, there's a whole bunch of these residents. It's not for violent offenders. It's just for people who don't have any money, don't have any family, and the state has to pay for them, and they're just sad and lonely. And um, he came to us and said, we've got to do something. So you know, we thought you know, uh, 10 years ago, five years ago, if he'd come to us with that, it would have been, well, how do we set up some, you know, there's no curriculum for that. There's no, you know, or I'd have just pushed it aside. But instead it was, yeah, we can find five or six people to just go love on them. And it's turned into this amazing opportunity now to build relationships with people who will never walk in the front door of our church because they are currently under the care of the state of California mm-hmm. and will be probably for the rest of their lives. They have mental handicaps that will never allow them to function in regular society. And a big church mindset says, why would I do that if I'll never get any butts in my seats for it? Hmm. Yeah. And we just thought, you know what? 
he has a passion for it. He's already talked to two others who would love to go and just hang out with these folks. And we ended up finding a whole bunch of others. And we've had events where we've had 20 to 30 of our own congregation go down and do these events. And what we did last week was we helped them with their big Christmas, Christmas tree lighting ceremony. And it was the first time they'd ever had a church represented because it's a state thing. You know, you know the whole church and state thing. But they invited us because we're the church that we're, we're not a church anymore. We're people they know. They know our first names. We know their first names. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. And so there's real ministry happening there to people that, you know, talk about taking the church to the community instead of waiting for the community to come to the church. But if we'd had a big church butts in the seat mindset, we might never never have even greenlit that thing. And I want to say real quick, that is not to say that big churches don't do those kinds of ministry. Virtually every big church I know does a bunch of that kind of ministry. So that's not – but my big church mindset was – it's probably more on me than it is on the big churches. It's My big church mindset was I'm only going to do things that are going to put butts in the seat or money in the offering. Yeah, you know, and Carl, in, in chapter one here that we're looking at, you talk about megachurch pastors, and uh, they write books, they teach seminars, and they never intended to make you feel like a grasshopper uh, compared to their, you know, to their Goliath. But um, you said you were the one who turned uh, what they were teaching as a weapon against yourself. Yeah, and you know, I've been there. I mean, I went through that whole deal. We went and. In 1997, we went to Saddleback Church. We came back to our church, and that's all that we were thinking about. You know, we changed our church incredibly. Uh, 150 people took off because they didn't like the change, and they were they were the ones they were the you know dragging their heels, digging their heels in, and uh, and then we we gained another 150 or 200 more. Uh, but the church just kind of had this did this roller coaster deal and and it just went through a whole bunch of angst and a lot of people right. were displaced replaced uh, moved around um, and and we are I mean I, I I almost think we're coming out of the conference era I mean for I think the nineties the the nineties into the two thousands we had just tons of church conferences maybe it's because I haven't been to a lot of them that I'm thinking there's not as many. There's probably more today than ever. It's just that I'm not showing up at all these conferences anymore because yeah. I, like you, and you talk about that in this chapter, how you just kind of quit. You stopped reading the, you even stopped reading the books. You stopped reading the, the next greatest book that just came out by Pastor So-and-so that's destined to change your church forever. Um, right. And I, I, in the same way, when I turned about 45 years old, I hit a I hit probably maybe even a year younger maybe from 44 to about 46 I didn't want to read a book. I did yep. not want that next book. I didn't want to go to another conference cuz it was just empty promises because I would come back and just go through the same rigmarole all over again to end up back where I was just where I started. Yeah, and it's amazing as people have read the book and as I've now done a couple well, conferences, quite frankly, um, to to have small church pastors sell come out, to me and sell out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, but they're fact, but they're small conferences, though, right? Small. Actually, actually, I spoke at a conference at Saddleback. Oh, we joked about yeah, this with him sorry. last time. Small church pastor, I, I, large conference speaker. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, which, which, quite frankly, to me was just great that they were acknowledging it. I had several people who came to my session, and they were just amazed. This is the first time 
we've seen the idea of a small church workshop. It was a breakout session. They had hundreds of them, and I was one of them. You know uh, that that we've that we've even had one that acknowledges the value of small churches at any of these conferences. Uh, you know, because again, like like you just said, we, you and I have both been to all of those conferences, and you do you you start hearing a similar pattern of information at all of them. And the first couple you go to, you go home, you try it, little bits and pieces might work, but most of it really doesn't. It doesn't quite apply and you can't figure out why. And you start wondering, there must be something wrong with me, or more likely you look at the church and you go, there's got to be something wrong with you guys, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because yeah. it couldn't be yeah. me. Oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah. And that's, but, a, that's a danger. You're right. That's a big oh, danger. Oh, yeah. 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 And well, that's why I even mentioned, and, and in those conferences, they even told us that would happen. They told us that there would yes. be heel draggers and vision killers. Just ignore them and push through them and get to the other side. And I did that, and I hurt some really good people. Now, to be fair, they also told us, don't go home and do all this stuff. You'll exactly. destroy your church. But, yep. but they only said that. That was maybe five sentences a day out of the hours of of reams of material. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, which is why I, you know, I, I, I called, I, the title of my book is The Grasshopper Myth because it puts the weight of the burden for our own mindset on ourselves and not on others. You know, the passages from Numbers, we, you know, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Nobody can make me feel like a grasshopper but me. So I misinterpreted a lot of that. Um, you know, I reread the Purpose Driven Church not long ago and realized, man, half the stuff I thought Rick was telling me, he wasn't even telling me. Hmm. You know, it, now now the challenge is, it's all put on at megachurches by megachurch pastors from a megachurch standpoint, and so they're going to use megachurch illustrations. So when Rick Warren talks, and I I love Rick, I think he's one of the the great you know, church leaders of our generation. Um, but when all of his illustrations are these mega church illustrations and the numbers start getting mind boggling just five minutes in. Yeah. Yep. And, and he is not saying that it has to be on that level of numbers to be successful. But when every speaker is at that level of numbers, then you think I either need to get there or I'm a failure. It's, it's the media becomes the message thing. It's, it's not the words that are said, but it's the manner in which it's presented when everything comes from a megachurch standpoint, that then becomes our standard for greatness. Well, and then if you're at that kind of a conference and somebody gets up and they're a pastor of a church of 500, you don't even want to listen to them because yeah. you feel like, well, what do they got to offer? We got guys sure. here that have, you know, grown these mega churches. What do they got this guy up here for? I did that for a while. I remember. I, rem- I still do it. it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I probably do too. I remember probably ten, twelve years ago. I remember reading somewhere about you know Max Lucado, who's written all these books and so on. And I remember at the time reading that his church was something like twelve hundred people. And mm-hmm. I remember at the time thinking, oh, okay, so he's not so great then. Yeah, because yeah. this guy Max Lucado, the, the most well-known, biggest-selling Christian author in the world, and I'm looking at it going, and his church is only twelve hundred. Well, then he's obviously not a very good pastor. He's a way better writer than a pastor. Are you kidding me? Twelve hundred people—that's a big, big church. 
Yeah. Right? But it was not the size I expected from a Max Locato. It, it's, it's interesting how weirdly twisted our value system becomes when we, we, when we allow ourselves to get sucked into this bigger is better mindset. Right. And that's, and that's where it all comes full circle, I think, to you saying, I'm Carl Vaders, I'm a small church pastor, but I'm not a failure, is when, we're, when we've made mega churches normative, then that's yeah. what pastors feel like they should all have, which mega normative. And so yeah. when mega churches have been made normative, you're a failure if you don't have one. Anything yeah, exactly. that's not normal is, you know, a failure. And, and so it comes all the way full circle to saying, yeah, I'm Johnny Craig. I'm a small church pastor. I'm not a failure. I'm doing, I'm doing good kingdom work. Uh, like you said, I'm not to the top of my potential yet, but I'm moving in that direction. Uh, and, and we need to celebrate the work that God is doing through us. Any work that God does through us is big work. I mean, any time that we can be a vessel, we you should we, you know we should be excited about that. You yeah. Know? Oh, absolutely. I, and I think your word normative is is a huge word for us to remember because we're not saying that big is bad or good or that small is bad or good. What we're saying is small is normative and big is not. It's just it, it's just on the way it's on the way on the far edge of the bell curve, right? It's not bad or wrong. It's just the exception to the rule. Is there any uh, you know you have on here? I you know my name is Carl and I am a small church pastor. Is there uh-huh. any benefit in just saying I am a pastor? But the, the reason I added small church pastor to it was because I wanted to normalize and be okay with my church being the size that it is and with my role in it. Uh, right, but yeah. yeah, I, I, I think if we can get past this moment in time where big is so celebrated and small is so ignored, if we can get past this era of history, then yeah, I look forward to the day where saying I'm a small church pastor is just unnecessary anymore. Yeah. Now, you wrote something on page 9. I just want to read it. It says, people choose to attend small churches, not in spite of their size, but because of it. And yeah. pastors of the new small church are the ones who have accepted that and celebrate it. And, you know, the truth is our people have already accepted that. Uh, yeah. I, I remember when I first heard people in my church say, yeah, I like my church. I like the size of it. I'm glad we're not a different size. And I would look at them with crossed eyes thinking, what are you talking about? Don't you care about the lost? Don't you care mm-hmm. about people? But what they enjoyed, and it it wasn't that they didn't care about the lost. They just enjoyed the community that they had in their small church. And we have had, we just had a meeting uh, recently with our elders and their wives, and we all sat in my living room, and we talked about our church, and it was obvious to me that these were people that were that just enjoy their church. They uh, and they don't they don't despise the loss, but they do enjoy the community, the purpose, uh, the ministry that they have in their small church. Yeah, well, when you know when people walk into uh, your church, my church, or any one of any of the small churches, uh, you know, of the, of the pastors who are listening right now. They don't expect that the front door of my church is like the wardrobe door to Narnia. They don't expect <laughs> that the moment they walk in that front door, it's going to be a huge land with massive things. 
they can tell before they walk in that it's small. Right. They can tell. And they came anyway. Or maybe they came because of that. So when people come to my church, they're not expecting the latest laser light show. They're not expecting you know, us to introduce the, ne- the, the best-selling CD from the worship team. They're not expecting high-end video that we shot this week and that's going to be shown on NBC next Sunday. Th- they're, they're ex- they see small, they come into small, they expect small, but there are benefits of small that they want to see when they come in. And then they come in and we are complaining about our size and we're not doing the things that come naturally with our size. And then we can't figure out why they don't stick around. Very good point. Very good point. Well, we're coming to the end of our time, and how would you like to land this plane? This is the first month. This is the first of these posts that you've written. Kind of just summarize this post, if you could, in just a few sentences. If you're a small church pastor, be okay with that. I think the first step towards pastoral and church health is what we said earlier. It's an acknowledgement of reality. You don't have to Uh, believe that it's even good yet. You just have to acknowledge that it's true. If you're a pastor and your church is small, guess what? You're a small church pastor. Start by acknowledging that reality and then see where Jesus takes it from there. And if you're a small church pastor, be a shepherd to your people because we read these books that encourage us. Really, they they push us in the direction of being a CEO. You know, they almost mandate that if we're going to do you know, what's in this book, that we're going to be a CEO. And most of us, most of us are not wired that way. Uh, the people in our churches want our love. They want our shepherding. They want our teaching. Uh, they want pastoral care. They want community. And in our small churches, we can give it in ways that would be very difficult to replicate in a large church. Uh, we have a number of college students in our church, and Uh, They have expressed the fact that their thankfulness and their gratefulness for the fact that we have accepted them into our church family. And when they come to our church, they feel welcomed and they feel loved and they feel like they're part of a family. And it would be hard to do that in a really large church. So I also, uh, Carl, would just encourage uh, all of us to be the best small church pastors we can be and to be shepherds of uh, our people. Absolutely. If we become great at it, we will find people who are looking for what we're offering, or they will find us. That's a good word to end this on. If you want uh, more Carl Vaders, you can check out his blog, newsmallchurch.com. Definitely buy his book, The Grasshopper Myth. Um, We're going to be talking with Carl again next month and every month throughout 2014. We're excited about that, and uh, we'll catch you next time on the 200 Churches Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the 200 Churches Podcast. Feel free to give the guys feedback or ask questions at 200churches.com. And remember, the leadership that you provide in your 200 church matters big in the kingdom of God.